And we're live. Welcome, everybody, to episode eight of the Community Cloudcast. I am joined by my fellow co-presenters, Paul McCollin and Jason Himmelstein. Afternoon, fellas. How are things? things Good. Are good. I'm not as cold as you are in Dallas, apparently. It's 72 degrees here, so, you know. Ooh, uh, 50. Yeah, apparently has it worked its way down. My I, mine shows thirty seven, and when I went outside a little while ago, it felt like it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I was gonna say fifty and falling fast. If it is, yeah, it's cold. <laughs> it's that wind is chilly. Uh, now people up north watching this are gonna laugh at us, but for us, it's cold. <laughs> we we laugh at them when they complain that it's ninety degrees and hot. <laughs> right. Well, let's jump into it uh, for our content for uh, this month. Uh, don't forget to join us every month around about this time. We've been pretty good the last few episodes of staying on our schedule, but depending on guest availability, sometimes we move it around. But usually uh, the third Thursday around noon U.S. Central Time, you can hit up our YouTube channel for previous episodes uh, or watch us on Facebook, whichever you would prefer. Uh, feel free to comment if you are watching us live. I know a lot of you watch us after uh, the broadcast has been uh, recorded, but if you are watching live, feel free to leave us a comment. If you do have comments after the show, post that into our YouTube channel is the best way um, to do that. Or you can come over to our Facebook page, drops there. And this month, we're joined by our special guest, Microsoft MVP, Chris Webb. Chris, how are you, my friend? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. Been a while since that. last time I saw you was at DFW Airport. No, we did the the conference. Sharegate, oh, we, or not Sharegate. Well, ShareCloud um, Summit. ShareCloud. Yeah. ShareCloud. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, everything good in your world? Yeah, just been working, doing a lot of Power App stuff. I'm slowly going from Teams to Power Apps. For power Apps. <laughs> that's that's not Teams, my friends. You're going to lose your identity. Yeah, I still do Teams too. It's not Teams isn't that complex. Power Apps is a different different beast though. Well, that it is. Well, um, uh, we feel free to talk about that if you like later. Um, so we'll have a discussion with with Chris in a bit about uh, whatever topics he has on his mind. But before that, we want to thank our sponsors, of course, um, Aptigent. Uh, feel free to, to visit us at www.aptigent.com. Uh, choose the tool for the platform of your choice. Got some new updates coming soon uh, with some new cool stuff. Uh, coming out and some big updates for Salesforce coming later this year, probably, hopefully before summer, uh, we'll get a bunch of uh, Salesforce updates out. We'll have over 100 actions in PowerTools platform by then. Uh, so please do check that out. Uh, upcoming events uh, next week. In fact, I will be in the UK for this one at Collab Days in Bletchley Park, which is Milton Keynes, about an hour or so outside of London. Uh, at a really cool venue. It's the um, Computing History Museum. I know that's not the exact name for it, but um, it, it has a bunch of old computers that they've restored, most of which are working, um, and old code-breaking devices and whatnot in the museum next door. And in fact, we're getting a presentation from, I believe it's Turing's grandson or one of his relatives is doing the keynote. Very cool. Um, and the speaker event, I think, is a whole code-breaking exercise. It's a really cool venue. Um, and they've been obviously hit hard by the COVID stuff over the last couple of years, not being pretty much shut down. So uh, the proceeds from the event are going to the Computing History Museum. 
uh, to help to keep them going. Uh, we are in fact sponsoring lunch uh, for that event. So uh, anybody watching this before then, please do come out and join us. It's a free event uh, in Milton Keynes. You can go to collabdays.org and get registered. Uh, following that, April coming up quickly is the M365 conference in Las Vegas. I won't be at that one, but Jason, I believe you will. I will be. I'm doing a post-conference with John White on Power BI, everything you wanted to know about Power BI, but we're afraid to ask. So excited to be uh, back in Vegas for that. Uh, I don't know how long I'm going to be there, but I know I'm going to be there for at least uh, at least Friday because that's when I'm teaching. So, And that's a full day post-conference, right? That is correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. So if you want to get registered for that, sign up at uh, www.m365conf.com. Chris, are you going out to Vegas for that one? No, I wish. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm not, not going either. Uh, and then subsequently after that will be ShareCloud Summit, uh, May 11th in Irving. Actually, I believe he's only announced the Inatech conference so far on that date, but I'm sure he's working on the ShareCloud content um, as well uh, for that uh, event coming up. You can go to ShareCloud Summit. Uh, I think InnotechConference.com is the uh, is the other URL. Just search for Innotech Irving, uh, and you'll find it. Uh, it's a combined conference. For those of you who don't know, it's not just a SharePoint um, or Office 365 thing. That's the Share Cloud Summit portion of it. But the Innotech side is general technology. Uh, there's a Women in uh, Technology conference that happens at the same time. So there's quite a few things that come together. It's always a good event, well attended, uh, and uh, there'll be uh, plenty of opportunities for learning and knowledge and networking um, at that event. I don't know that we uh, ought to talk to Sean. We'll probably schedule a SharePoint or something after that, some sort of get together. Uh, last time uh, we went down and I took the speakers down. We played some video games uh, in the arcade. We had a good time. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so we'll do something uh, for this one as well. But that's May 11th uh, coming up. And then after that, I'm not sure. I should probably list. I know cloud um collaboration or european cloud summits coming up in october i think there's nacs in branson in october is there anything in the summer jason yeah so uh 365 educon in seattle is may 9th to the 13th you've got uh 365 educon in dallas august 8th to the 12th and then in september in chicago the 26th to the 30th um, I know there's a bunch of virtual stuff happening as well. I know there's going to be a Microsoft Ignite and some other things happening as well for you, those of you who are still uh, doing all the online events. Uh, but as far as the in-persons, those are the ones that I know of as of right now. Cool. And I know Chris has one to share with us, the Teams Nation event. He's going to talk about that a little bit later, give you some details on that. So that's coming up as well. So lots of opportunities if you're like us and would prefer to get back into the in-person events. Uh, you have those opportunities coming up. Uh, still a few virtual ones as well, uh, if that's your thing. Uh, or if you, I know a lot of people still have limited travel budget. So unfortunately, there's some virtual sort of hybrid stuff that still has to happen. But uh, if you can get out to an in-person event, uh, get those back going. That's the way to that's the way to do it. So what we thought we'd do normally, uh, as everyone knows, we have sort of a round table where each one of us shares some news. Paul usually talks about Salesforce and non-Microsoft cloud stuff. And Jason talks about Power BI and I talk about Azure and whatnot. But really, this time of year, there's not a lot of news um, going on. Uh, 
be another month or two, I think, before we get any real significant news um, coming out. So what we thought we'd do in this episode is talk a little bit about the job market in general in 2022 with a specific focus on cloud uh, and also development technologies and just chat about um, how we feel based on what things are happening out there and what we're uh, seeing. So the first topic up is uh, most in-demand technology jobs. So did some poking around on LinkedIn uh, and found a general consensus. I didn't put these in a particular order, but a general consensus that these are the hot um, jobs. I can say from personal experience that I know somebody that was talking to a recruiter recently who um, all they were hiring for was DevOps, 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 DevOps. Uh, and so I know that's a hot thing out there. Uh, uh, a bit of surprise on here, a blockchain engineer. I'm not sure what that is or what a blockchain engineer does, but here's the list. So uh, let's get everyone's thoughts on, on what we think about this particular list. Anything here surprise you or does this sound about right? Well, it's definitely lacking anything having to do with data. That's for sure. That's surprising. It, it, yeah. yeah I, it, it, it's it's more of a, of a targeted list towards the engineering side of the house as opposed to the data side of the house. And the other thing that, that seems to be missing for me here uh, is anything on the UX UI side of the world as well. Because I know just uh, in, in my world, I get hit up all the time about data opportunities. You know, granted, I live in a data-driven world, but, you know, from a data perspective, you know, D DBA has become a hot thing again, you know, especially given, you know, cloud hosting of databases and things of that nature, understanding the need on that side of the house. And more than that, it's on the analytics side of the house and understanding big data and things of that nature. So I think that the, it, the scope of this particular you know, uh, LinkedIn Pulse article was very much focused more towards the infrastructure side of the world and to, to the developer side of the world because, you know, programmer analysts, I could see that being somewhat on the UX UI side of the house. Uh, but DevOps engineering is definitely a huge thing uh, in our space and our world and cloud architects as well. So I definitely agree with those two for sure. Paul, what's your... I, so I feel like the the surge because I, I I've been tracking the what's that? So I feel like the surge on on data and analytics has has dropped down a little bit. I'm sure you get a lot of that, Jason. Uh, I used to get a lot of the UX UI stuff just with my my uh, in and group uh, background and 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 hobbies, and I haven't I've seen that drop off a little bit and go back to. Um, they will be overwhelmed by the surge of DevOps engineers, developers, uh, and cloud architects. I th think some of those cloud architect roles cover some of the data architecture you're talking about with a lot of the um, the data structures being moved into cloud, the, the, the you know, the MongoDB uh, data fabric and, you know, the Azure data fabric stuff where they're the caching layers and Redis and those kind of things. So you've got to be able to to move between those layers with the same kind of concepts um, and they they may be homogenizing those titles underneath cloud architect or you know hopefully a cloud data architect uh, but i do feel like those have dropped down a little bit but they i they are not going away yeah so picking up on on that point and also what jason said dba what does a dba mean these days is it 
is the, the traditional thought of we're managing SQL, we're managing Oracle, but now with cloud hosted databases and, and SQL in the cloud and whatnot, does, does that role expand to, I'm a DBA, so I need to know more about cloud technologies and infrastructure in general? So I'd argue yes, uh, you know, and it's also you know understanding how to build out the right schemas and optimize for a world where you don't have access to the hardware layer anymore. You know, it's not, not something that you can go you know maximize uh, efficiency by changing MaxDop or things of that nature. You have to understand how to architect for the data for it specifically. How do you make it so that data data can be normalized? How how do you make it so that things are easily accessible? How do we move things out of you know transactional and into a warehouse so that I can now get at that data from a reporting perspective? How do I make sure that everything is the right level of security across the board? Because I no longer can just go yank the back of the cable out of the back of the machine at the end of the day if I have a breach. You really have to understand all of those things. So from a DBA perspective, it still is a key core thing and understanding where your data is being surfaced as well. You know, the surface area of all of it is important to know what's being visualized, who who has access to what. So I think it's a truly a core thing that we are looking at in this uh, in, in this ecosystem from a DBA perspective. Also, what happens from a backups perspective? What happens from a cyber threat perspective? You know, how do you make sure that all of these things are taken care of when you no longer have total control over your environment? I think it puts a microscope under under the skill set on optimization as well, because unoptimized, you know, databases equal more expensive databases. So I think it puts a lot more focus on that because before you had a whole lot of hardware to throw at things or just available, but now, you know, the, the more resources your database queries and unoptimized stuff takes, it's going to cost you more money in the end. So I think that skills, a little bit more magnified as well. Yeah, for the consumption model view. Yeah, but I'm I'm definitely with you, data, Chris. The uh, or so Jason, there was a trend to see chief data officers uh, as a title. I know that we went to chief digital officers, but the I I 100% agree that understanding there there needs to be a hybrid between data governance and data security, and that that model and where your data flows throughout your organization should be something that people are investing in more and we should see those more in big companies um, as we go forward so not just reporting an analyst but just awareness of everywhere your data is what it is and what level of security and make sure you're uh, reviewing that for appropriateness and speed um, all along the path but having somebody manage that end to end as opposed to application by application uh, I think needs to come more into focus. A little bit of a tangent from our job market thing, but hope to see that companies express their value by the data that they have um, and their liability. That should come much more into focus and be much more clear roles. Well, I think that a role missing here is a cloud data architect. Yep because we've got now data in all these SaaS providers, we've got multi-cloud, um, you've got all these different areas where you have large amounts of data. For example, if you're a mostly Microsoft shop, but you have Salesforce as your CRM, you've got a tremendous amount of data in that repository that's critical to your revenue flow. 
Then you've got all this Microsoft data that you have from your application stack and Teams and SharePoint and wherever else that you're ingesting data, right? Uh, some of that probably in Azure. Now you're on two clouds plus on-prem. Who's bringing that together? Who is actually, Jason, to your point, deciding how you get that reported? Where do you, how can you surface that data when you've got it across all these different um, silos? So someone has to bring that together. That's not really, a. when I think of DBA, I think more, hands-on working with the data sets themselves. I think there's an opportunity here at a higher level for someone to wrangle all of these data cats as it were. Completely agreed. So what do we think, and maybe this is just, you know, the author of the this particular article, although I did see blockchain in a couple places. What is a blockchain engineer doing? What is, that sounds to me like someone playing with a crypto wallet and well, it sounds like people who are, who are managing the how the chain comes together. How you have, sometimes you have to twist it. The perspective that, that I've heard on it, and, I, and I'm only conversational on it, is, is where you're sharing data that you need integrity of the data when you share it out to people and they can be able to trust that the data has been unaltered. People are using that to store, you know, if they publish and broadcast, instead of making these open RSS feeds that can, you know, suffer attacks, that everything is, if it's more sensitive, they, it's nested inside of a blockchain to where you can confirm all of the transactions that led up to there and trust the source or the, the iterations of data that have led to whatever is being broadcast. Uh, so it's more about building a publicly confirmable trust of published data or exchange data, um, as opposed to just trusting the real time of, yeah, I just got this answer over this rest call. How sure am I, or how much can I trust that endpoint if I can't go validate it and see that it hasn't been altered? I didn't get man in the middle. I, I didn't, um, you know, this wasn't a fluke. Uh, I didn't lose a digit. I, you're getting some backup there. So anywhere where trust is a, is a highly sought after for data transfer, that's where blockchain is coming in. Uh, transactions, money exchanging, sure. credits, debits, um, but yeah, any other secure detail, um, that's that's what's going into blockchain because it's shareable, but not, uh, not something that you have to really expose any of your internal data for audit. Uh, you can put it all on the public and it's all verifiable. Yeah, they're really, blockchain is a whole lot more than just like crypto. I mean, there's a lot, they use it for for just storage, like mass storage shared across a whole bunch of endpoints. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff that blockchain can do that I've seen here and there, but not not too much expert on it. But they got engineers doing all kinds of stuff more than just crypto. And yeah, like, it's it's a thing, so. yeah high, highly verifiable logging tool. So transactions are logged in it for to manage crypto. Um, Anything else? Yeah, if you're if you're exposing stuff through Splunk, you can you can just show that there was nothing erased between here and there. You can verify the entire chain of events that have happened in blockchain, as opposed to to trusting. So, oh, sorry. Yeah. Chris, Interesting. Anything thing. on on this uh, list that you see missing? That Chris, I think you're on mute. Not sure if you heard me on this one, but anything on the list that you see that's missing? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um I don't know. I don't know what like power apps and power automate power platform stuff's really starting to I'm seeing that take off as far as 
pretty lucrative job offers actually in the market that I've seen for just teaching people how to do power apps or even just building apps out of power apps. Low-code dev should definitely be something that we start to talk about. Um, That should show up more. That's that's become a first-class citizen in the Salesforce world. And I think Chris can vouch for the fact that in the Microsoft world, you could have a nice career doing just power automate and never getting down. Is that fair in the Microsoft space as well? Yeah, I would say so. Power, power apps, power platform in general. I mean, my job has turned from cloud architect into power apps developer for the most part where I'm at now, just because the things that I've built and it, the demand has just gotten up because of how well some of that stuff works. So I've been reshaping a lot of our organization with power apps. So. Yeah, oh, and that's true it. on other platforms as well. You mentioned Salesforce, but also, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people are using things like Monday and Workato and QuickBase and, uh, you know, building business applications. So it's almost like a business applications um, developer. And I'm not sure what the title is, but yeah, I think there's a lot of room in there and that's a hot commodity that um, a lot of people are moving towards. Some maybe reluctantly, but moving nonetheless. Yep. I, I have fun uh, taking work away from uh, from developers and and uh, you know hey we've got to do this in custom code it's like nope I think I can do that in the uh, the flows platform and I can do it declarative just with the drag and drop interface that they've got without code uh, and being able to size it and there's some they keep growing that platform to where um, I'm almost not recommending people go learn declarative code or custom code uh, because it the uh, the growth of the declarative version is is expanding so much at least in salesforce and and also you know with the nintexes and power automates um those and decisions.com all the other platforms are out there just think structured and there's a platform out there that you can you can go get into you don't have to go back and learn what pointers are and uh object structure and oo notation I think yeah well and and to that point we're we're solidly in the the add-on space for those types of low code decorative platforms realizing that that people can do so much and then they need to take it a step beyond and that's why we have connectors for uh power automate and salesforce um as well to help those people take that next step uh beyond there <clears throat> uh so most in-demand programming languages this comes up every year right uh, doesn't seem to change all that much javascript still at the top of the list according to this uh, survey um I, I was actually a little surprised to see go down as far on the, this particular list as it is i don't see swift on there anymore which is obviously just silly because there's a ton of uptake uh, in there people still developing for the uh, mobile uh, apple uh, ecosystem and I have no idea what Kotlin is. Uh, Kotlin is a uh, a Java platform for uh, Android app development, I believe. I think uh, Kotlin and Coretto, I want to say, are are closely related. Uh, let me okay. confirm that really fast. Anybody surprised by the top three here? Top three, four. Now, pretty standard. Um, so uh, I'll say that JavaScript is. Uh, is getting weird. So I, I have been the, the JavaScript guy for forever. Um, still back to silver light days and stuff, but uh, calling those out. But so JavaScript is landing as a, a language specification on a lot of platforms. So C Sharp, you know, Python, 
all of those are are fairly you know running platform specific you're you're running it on a python engine you're running c sharp i still believe is mostly on the .net typescript's a library i believe you used within javascript c++ um is still a compiler base php php but javascript so lwc node there are a ton of different platforms that use uh, rough offshoots of the JavaScript language specification that may be artificially inflating that. So you may have client-side JavaScript, which is my my jam. I insert that into you know whatever server-side platform I'm in, and then LWC, which is a new kind of Node-like in Salesforce. Then Node, which is actually JavaScript-based. Uh, some of the other Angular and React, I think, all call themselves. They're different stacks, different platforms but all use a rough offshoot of the JavaScript language, which is a C type, which is number eight, number six, and number four. Um, so we're making, maybe getting a little blurry there on the JavaScript, just as a, a comment there. And I keep hearing more about Go. Go is on the top of some of the lists I went and looked at. Yeah, that's why I was surprised to see it down there, which is on the Google platform for folks who aren't familiar um, with that as a uh, coding language from Google. I'm surprised to see C still on there. Yeah, lots of old time stuff still running away. But this raises a question, right? Objective C, right? If you're building for uh, Mac and and the Apple platform, are you and you're not using Swift? You're you're still using a, a very direct descendant of C. To, so is that where that falls? I just thought it was um, not surprised by the top three, really. And I agree, Paul, with your point that all the JavaScript stuff, Node and Angular and and uh, all that stuff falls under uh, that particular uh, moniker, I think. Uh, so I thought I'd just take a, a quick glance around and say, uh, people talking about jobs, they wanna talk about high paying jobs. What cloud certifications uh, potentially help you to those jobs? Now, I know we all have our own opinions on the value of certifications, but uh, by and large, a lot of people still believe that those are important. Um, and here are the ones that were ranked by um, WizLabs as the highest paying, uh, Google at the top, followed by AWS and Azure. Now, when we say ranked, they were within a few grand of each other, right? So that's very subjective, obviously. Um, but so let's, let's just have a brief conversation about the actual value of these certifications. Do we think that they help that having a Google certified professional cloud architect helps you get a good job um, doing that or have they kind of gone by the wayside? So I'll speak to the to number four, the Salesforce certified technical architect. That is an MCM level certification. That is 15 certs to qualify for a $15,000-ish panel interview um, certification. So that cert um, opens door. It's not the certification itself. It is the collection of, of everything that goes with it, and the the fact that there's you know only a couple hundred of them in the U.S. So I don't know if the like CCIE, um, if if the other certs on this list are that level where there's just not that many. I wouldn't say it was had to do with the cert itself, more the rarity uh, of it, maybe. So just throwing that out there. Jason, what's your take? Yeah, I'm not a big certification guy, personally. Um, I'm a, I'm a hands-on type of a person. Uh, and as I look at this, there's an awful lot of AWS and, and Google certs here. Uh, I definitely know that there are 
lots of folks out there that are working on getting these certifications. The expert level certs out there and the architect level stuff, I mean, all of it's going to you know, potentially give you a boost from a salary perspective. But in all reality, these days, I think that people with the experience and the, you know, that, that are interviewing well and are coming and hit the ground running or, you know, it's not necessarily a requirement to have these certifications. So I think it's great, but not, not something that I really tend to put a whole lot of stock in when I'm hiring for things. I don't look to see if they have certifications. I look at what their experience is and, you know, can they talk to that experience? You know, can they, you know, a lot of times it's, hey, can you show me something that you've done? Right. Mm -hmm. what, what type of things have you done? Because it's a lot more experiential because to go off and spend all this time to get a certification in a world where the, the ecosystem shifts so dramatically, so frequently, it's it's hard to justify a 15 certification uh, you know, type of thing that then a $15,000 panel to maybe get the cert. You know, just my take. It's uh, it definitely shows expertise. But how long is that expertise good for? And so does somebody sit on that for 10 years and say, oh, look at how how I've done what I did 10 years ago. That, that, that's always been my my issue. So, so the good thing point. I love about the Salesforce certification ecosystem is once you get a cert, you don't just keep it. You have to maintain it. And they have training that you have to go out and continue to keep updated on all these certifications and the uh, it is interesting for the people that are in the 15, 20 cert range of how much maintenance, the, how time they're spending on maintenance uh, they're having to do. So, so it, it, if that were part of the uh, the rest of the ecosystems, kind of uh, cert maintenance and cert upkeep, uh, I think we'd be in a better place. But I totally agree, especially it was a point in time. Uh, all my SharePoint 2010 and 2007 certs feel like wasted time. Um, you know, storage record storage limits of the still rock solid. I'm telling you, <laughs> I can do WSS with the best of them. It's me and CA, next level. Um, but yeah, Chris, what's uh, your take? Yep. So I, I agree mostly with Jason. Um, and I think it's highly situational. So, I mean, it just depends. I think bigger organizations are going to have more value in the certification just because they're more process oriented when it comes to hiring and whatnot. But it can also help get through the HR gate because usually the recruiters are looking and they're going to see certs and put you up on the list if you have the certs versus people who don't. But when it boils down to the actual interview and looking at stuff, it's going to be more towards just your experience and how you interview. I think the interview skills are the most important out of anything. I'm just being able to talk to people and talk shop and work through questions that they may ask you and, you know, the, the think tank behind how you answer those. Um, and if you're in like a position that's kind of pigeonholed in a bigger company and you're stuck doing one thing and you can't really work on other stuff, certifications can help come into play because you can learn those and then do them and then have that to show that's your kind of your experience getting into the door versus, if you work for small organizations, usually you're going to be working on that stuff before you move up and go out and find another job somewhere else. So it's yeah. kind of situational, I think. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. That's a great right. transitional point. I've actually had them hurt an interview before. People are trying to get certifications to show that they're qualified to get a new job. And a lot of the certifications show you, you've known how you've been working in the space for multiple years. And if somebody, tells me they passed X or Y exam, but have no experience 
in it, then that calls that that makes the profile very suspect for me. Mm. Like you mm. can't have known all of this stuff except for book memorization. And this isn't supposed to be a book memorization. It's supposed to be a show, show what you know. Yeah, good points. Good points. Yeah. Right. So um, just uh, moving, I think we can all agree on, on probably what the cloud trends are. We want to get into uh, Chris's content here real quick, but uh, we've talked in the past, multi-cloud and hybrid cloud, big things, AI, um, edge and serverless, uh, what's going on with cloud-based ER and, and whatnot. So this is just a tick list. Any Anything just at first glance that you guys see that's that's missing from the cloud trends here, things that you're seeing? That pretty much tick all the boxes. That's pretty broad, uh, you know. Obviously, being the data guy, I'd, 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 I'd be looking more for you know what, what's happening in the analytics space and big data and stuff like that. But I think multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, all of those things is what we talk about. When we're talking about data, so I think at, in a broader sense, I think it does cover everything pretty well. All right, so let's uh, jump into our featured guest presentation. Uh, Chris Webb, I'm sure, has some delightful information to share uh, with us. And uh, so we are going to turn it over to Chris. What do you got for us, buddy? All right, so going to be talking just kind of, you know, what the latest and greatest in Teams is. So let me pull up a screen share if this will work out for me. Don't need audio. All right, cool. There we go. So just got a quick present. Quick, ooh, not gonna do that. I'll just do it this way. It slides up. So what's latest and greatest? Just kind of got just a collection of stuff that's been coming out lately. Um, coming out soon if it doesn't show up already. And I'll show a couple of these uh, items as we go through. But gonna start with uh, UI UX changes and teams and improvements. Um, there's a new sharing experience. Um, in Teams, so that when you share a file in chat, you used to just share it, and it would just share with whoever is in the chat automatically in the back end. You really didn't have control over uh, what you could do with that file, making it read-only, making it edit. You had to go through OneDrive in the background and go make those changes in the My Teams Files folder where it would just randomly stick it. Um, but now you've got a lot more... Um, controls over that. And I'll show that here in a second after I go through this list. Um, there's a, There's been a bug for years. It's probably been a thing for five years where you could not rename a channel in Teams in the folder underneath. Because if, if you don't know, every channel in Teams has a SharePoint folder tied to it in a document library with the SharePoint site collection attached to the team. And when you would rename a channel, the folder that it was attached to would not rename. So you were going to look for files through SharePoint, looking for a channel name, aka the folder, it would have an old name to it and it wouldn't rename correctly. So they finally pushed out the change for that, where when you rename a channel, it renames an underlying folder to match it. So Nice. I want to say I saw that happen where you like both versions were out there at one time, the old name and the new name, and it copied the files. It seemed like it. I ran into that. That's fantastic. If you rename the folder on SharePoint, it would duplicate because then the channel, once you added a file to a channel, it would add that channel name back in there again. So okay. that's kind of where that duplication would come from. Uh, there's a new hover card time zone feature that's kind of kind of slick, especially if you work in a worldwide organization or something. And I can show this, but anytime you hover over somebody's photo inside of Teams, 
there's now a little section in that hover card that pops up, shows what their time zone is and what time it is in their time zone, their current time. When you go to try to send them a message or something, you can kind of uh, see that. So it's kind of helpful to know you're not messaging someone in the middle of the night or something. They may not answer. Um, there's a new compact chat feature. Put a little claps next to that because it's kind of nice. Makes it look more slackish, you know, whatnot. If you've used Teams in the past, you know there's a lot of wasted white space. Um, there's a new compact chat version of view you can turn on in the chat. Kind of compresses everything down. Looks a lot more like Slack. You got a lot more room for text. Does, doesn't eat up as so much screen, screen real estate. Um, they changed all their emojis to this fluent emojis. It's just they're moving in these 3D colored emoji stuff. It's, more well, what is a what is a fluent emoji mean? That's just just has they, depth. It, it it uses the new fluent UI emoji stack they're building with Windows 11, and now they're bringing in the team, so it doesn't use the old looking emojis. It just looks more 3D and everything. And the walkie-talkie feature. So if you ever used to use Nextels back in the day, um, Teams now has this feature, and it's built into iOS now. It was in Android only for a while. It's now an iOS. You can use, you can get it set up, activate it, and you can do walkie-talkie. You can push a button, talk to a group of people in like a walkie-talkie group, um, similar to the Nextels from back in the day. So that has iOS support now. It only works though if you say over after you finish talking. You have to go over, and then otherwise it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, actually, I need to switch. So this is one. Okay, I'm not in public preview. So this is weird because on the community the other day when I was doing the new sharing functionality, you it wouldn't work for some people. People were complaining about like the permissions were messed up because they changed them on the back end. Well, apparently, public preview does not have the new sharing functionality, so it's still using the old method, assigning permissions, which no longer works, so it's breaking sharing files if you use public preview. But GA has the new sharing fe functionality feature. So how that makes any sense, I don't know. I've complained to Microsoft about it, so they need to fix it. So That's where we can... see the demand for DevOps engineers. <laughs> yeah. If you have public preview turned on, you don't have the new sharing functionality right now. So make sure you're on GA if you want to check this out or anything. Uh, let me hide this. So essentially, if you upload a file from your computer, um, we'll just say this activity log file. It uploads now, if you notice underneath here, I got this people in this chat link. You can click here and set your permissions directly whenever you share a file anywhere in Teams. This is nice. So if you do this in a, you can do anybody in this chat. If you're in a team, you can say people currently in this team, or you can even say anybody with the link. You can fully customize this like you have in OneDrive, except you do have the in this chat and in this team option, which you don't have in OneDrive. Um, you can set all your standard sharing options. I'm not going to go through all that, but that's essentially the feature. It's really nice. Previously, it would just pop in and go to your mod teams files and then set permission directly with the chat with edit. So now you got a lot more customization there. So that's the sharing feature. Uh, the compact chat. Uh, let me see. So this is the old chat. Used to just be all in the middle. You got a whole lot of wasted white space. Can't do much about it. I'm going to go in the preview. The compact chat is in public preview only right now, so let me switch that. All right, and I still got the same old UI here. If I go into settings, and right here under chat density, you have this new compact feature. You can click on that, and now you'll see I got a whole lot more 
less white space. Looks a little more slack. It's got a lot more room so you can read and do your chat. I prefer this a lot more. It's definitely uh So that's a global change. You can't do it on a chat by chat basis? Yeah, that's a global change. Mm. As of now. And it only does it in chat. It doesn't do it in teams. I don't know if they're ever gonna do it in teams because I know they're working on some UI changes there. So it I don't know if it'll ever come there based on some of the stuff I've seen there. So um, all right, and the hover card. So if I hover over uh, Sandy here, you'll notice right here underneath contact, this is their current time and the same time zone as you. If she had been in a different time zone, it would pop up with their current time and list what's the time zone that they're in. So nice little head there. Uh, the emojis, basically, if you click on any emoji, you can see they're all different now. They used to be just kind of the basic yellow color emojis. Now they all got the 3D looking colorful fluent UI emojis, what they call it. That seems yeah. like a solid investment in engineering time. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> I, know, right? I have been waiting. <laughs> now I can finally start using Teams. Do, do I have Clippy? Yeah. Do we have some Clippy? Yeah. Right. So here's some of the good the good news usable stuff. Um, they have been making vast performance improvements with Teams. I don't know if you notice how fast I switched public preview over. It loads 10 times faster than it did probably a year or two ago. I mean, Teams was dog slow, ate up so much CPU. And they've slowly just been behind the scenes making things faster, use less CPU, a lot more battery performance. Um, I've seen slides from engineering team that show pretty good improvements across the board. Um, it's just a slide that they can just kind of showing, you know, what they've been working on and, and where. But I just kind of wanted to point that out because it definitely has been improved. Still not there, and they know it, but um, they've made they've come a long way over the last few years. Um, some new things in calling that I pointed out is just recent. Um, they got one-to-one -one transcription. If you want to add that to a call, you can turn that on. Um, and there's also a SIP gateway that they've launched recently where you can go in. You can use some of the main providers, not everything, um, like the Polycoms, Cisco's, Yaylinks, and... I don't know. There was one other one, but that they support out of the box. So if you got some old older phones or some phones from those those providers, you can actually connect up to the SIP gateway and use those for your calling. So you don't have to buy new phones to use basic uh, hardware calling functionality with uh, Teams calling if you decide to migrate to that. Uh, as far as meetings, they've been putting most of their time in meetings ever since COVID, especially um, the, every month, few months, the meetings layouts change there's new features there's a lot of stuff in the meeting space um if you didn't see ignite i believe they announced it or something recently where they're looking into the ar space or the vr space for doing meetings so if you ever use like vr chat or um what's it alt space vr i think microsoft bought one of those um, yeah i think microsoft mesh is i think you're uh you're talking about yeah. right yeah that's that's it um, that's coming in down the line. It's still infancy, but I, I think that stuff's cool. We did a VR event after our team's nation last year and it actually worked out pretty well. If you, especially if you had a VR headset, but you can do it on the PC as well, but it's, it's pretty neat stuff. I think, I think it can be cool, especially if you do have a VR headset and can write on whiteboards and do all of that. I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty cool thing if they do it right. 
So, um, yeah, there's one there I'm curious about. Individual NDI audio feeds. Does that mean when they record, it actually can split out individual audio streams? Yep. So the way it works now, um, it pretty much takes all the feeds into one, but now you actually get an NDI feed per camera or per user coming in. So you can actually you know, chain, bring in the audio and mess with it, mute, whatever you need to do per, per user versus... Is that public preview? Is that release? Um, I think it's released. It was on their blog recently, this last month or so. So it's coming soon if it's not already in there. Sorry about the background noise if you hear it. <laughs> um, but some of the features I'll go through real quick, raise hand order. Basically, uh, when you raise your hand now or before in Teams, it would just have a whole bunch of icons that everybody raised their, their hand but now it shows what order they click that in. So you can go in order to reply or ask, you know, do you have a question? It'll say one, two, three, four, the order of uh, when they raise their hands. Mm. There's an auto recording feature and I'll show how to turn this on. It's kind of cool. So you don't have to remember to turn recording on. When you set up a meeting, you can actually click a box that says auto record my meeting. So when you go into it, you start it, it just records it for you. Um, music mode's a new thing. They did this for uh, teachers and school mostly, but it if you've ever tried, and it's going to actually help me with OBS because I used to do an OBS feed through Teams meetings to do a bunch of UI stuff and everything and play sound through my OBS feed as an output through Teams. And when you would do music or anything, that the sound would be real choppy. It would cut it off. It would think it was background noise. So you would get mixed results. <laughs> with that but what music mode does is put a high fidelity mode on the music or on your audio um for your input and it doesn't try to decode it or you know mess with the audio feed it's a it's a more high high latency version of that sound so when you turn that on even if you use obs to pump sound through or if you're playing music instruments or whatever through that that audio input it's going to sound a lot better and be a lot um, better latency and stuff. It's just, it's just a, its own channel that prioritizes. Zoom has a pure audio mode that's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Mirror my video, it's pretty much down in the bottom when you look at yourself. It's turned the opposite way if you want to, if you prefer seeing what you would look in a mirror versus the way it turns it, you can turn that on and it'll switch it back, which is a preference thing. Um, backgrounds for web. That's when you set up a virtual background, you can do that on the web client. Now you can only do that on the desktop version previously. And I got a breakout room feature here. Um, I didn't want to go into this too much cause I don't use breakout rooms a ton, but they have been putting a lot of work in there. If you look up uh, break room features, uh, teams blog, it, it'll go through a bunch of these new features that they have there. They got things like um, changing participants per room on the fly. Now they got. So this um, is really cool. I, I looked into this um, a couple of days ago because we talked a lot about that before doing this webcast about doing more of a conventional um, user group type of approach. Right. But we needed good breakout room functionality. It wasn't there. Yep. Um, at the time. So we actually landed on, on this format, but that would help a lot of user groups having a proper breakout room functionality. I agree. I mean, Teams has expanded, you know, the participant size and get up to like a thousand per now. And plus you got these break, break rooms. You can just send everybody to like we used to do our break breakouts after our main presentation, have, you know, the mm -hmm. admin guys, users and devs and split that out. You got a lot more control over that, but they've been adding a lot of functionality to this. 
Are you, are you, is that something you guys are using in your um, conference or how are you handling it? Um, we're using just a bunch of meetings that we set up or we do it by room. So we have, God, how many rooms are we up to? 12 rooms, I think all day. And then we just split, we record the whole thing. And then we, I have to go through and process all those recordings, but we, we, we have moderators for each room that sit in there and introduce speakers and everything. We just keep one room running all day. So when you look at the schedule, you see room one with the, the track and all those sessions and you just go join room one whenever the time is there. So that's kind of how we do it right now. That seems to be the way everyone does. It could break out to make that experience better. Uh, I mean, you probably could, but I think joining a breakout room is going to be more difficult. I'm not sure how that's going to look because you have to join the main room. I mean, I guess it could work fine. I haven't haven't looked into it much lately because the way we do it just works fine. And they didn't have a lot of this functionality previously where you could change a lot of time participants. So like now you can. So it's probably getting to that point where it's the, the Zoom functionality is that uh, the admin the owner of the group or the host of the meeting puts people into rooms as opposed to the the participant getting to choose I, I don't know that i've seen anybody head the direction where the participant gets to choose a breakout room uh, by themselves and go they're they're control their current the the current ui is to to be managed by the administrator so it'll be interesting to see how that develops if it does and that would be useful if I you're doing a conference in but teams, harder to manage. You can, you can pick what room you go to in Teams. Um, they you just could not assign participants, and now you can if you need okay. to for them. But you can actually pick what room and breakout you go to. So you can assign, and there's randomizations that they've added to, or you can randomize groups out. They did it for EDU, so you can do like uh, you know, for the class, just randomly. Yeah, it's the classrooms and out. making sure that the kids go to the right room uh, and don't get to to hop in or hop out at will. I think there was some structure planned there, and that's what that's where the functionality I've seen to focuses on. But it'll be neat to be able yeah, to see that from optional. a conference pers perspective. Hopping in and out is ideal, right? That's uh, what yeah. you want. You want to be able to jump between rooms. I I would think a good experience, much as I really don't like virtual conferences, but a good experience would be a main feed that has all of your sponsor info and rolling videos and promos and all that stuff. You come into that, and then you go into the breakout room that you want for individual sessions. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. Better on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I definitely thought about that. Um, so I like doing this in Outlook because you can do it ahead of time. So this is I'm kind of showing the record auto record meeting. If you didn't know, this stuff's built into Outlook now, which is nice. So when you start a meeting, you say, you know, Teams meeting, um, you get this meeting options thing built in Outlook now. My favorite feature of teams is an outlook feature there's a checkbox that says make all my meetings teams meetings oh yeah and so it does that automatically every time i create a new calendar event it creates a new teams meeting for it without me having to click the button or find it and that yeah. is definitely good way point. for a while on my pc and oh man did i miss it <laughs> but anyway when you hit meeting options you get all these options that you can set you know who mm. can present you know mics all that stuff and now down here at the bottom there's a record automatically checkbox you can check on this and that'll record the meeting for you when you go in there um you can do this in teams as well um, the problem with teams is when you set up a new meeting you can't set the meeting options until after you save it I, why i don't know it's kind of 
kind of weird, but say I set up a new new meeting, save it. Once it's done, you can come in and open that meeting, and then you'll have the meeting options button up here. Wow, they need to fix that, obviously. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and something went wrong. Love it. <laughs> well, it's because I didn't have the my browser profile. It's tied to my company. Oh. Here you go. I got multiple profiles, so it's got to have the same web login. Mm. There's there's the same options in the web. And why should you go to a different page? That should all be within one experience, right? Exactly. I 100% agree. Hopefully, I'll get that figured out. But just cool. FYI, if you're trying to set these options, you can't do it till after you create the meeting. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. If you do it through Outlook, you can do it beforehand. So I always do my meetings in Outlook anyway. It's a much better experience. Cool. All right, and last but not least, the, the Teams Nation Community Conference. Um, it's in March 23rd, 2022. It is in European time. It starts at like 1 a.m. U.S. time, so uh, you probably won't catch those. All this stuff's recorded, so if you go to teamsnation.online and sign up, though, we do post those within the, a week or two of the conference, so you can go back and watch the ones. If, you, if it's not in your time zone, obviously, you don't want to sleep. Uh, stay up that late for that. Um, it runs through about 11 central time, so you can get up early and catch a lot of the sessions and all the Microsoft uh, keynotes are actually at the end around 10 a.m. central time, too. So you can catch those. We got 13 different tracks from Power Apps to SharePoint to OneDrive to Teams. I mean, it's mostly Teams focused, but we do have some spinoffs of Power Platform and whatnot. Um, 140 sessions, 170 speakers, 100 percent free. So. What what is SOYS? Forgive my ignorance. What is that? Um, SharePoint, OneDrive, Yammer, Yammer, uh, Stream. I guess. Something else. <laughs> okay. Got it. Which is going going into SharePoint now. So Share, SharePoint's reduced down to an S. It gets one character now. <laughs> Never mind that all the all that stuff needs SharePoint to actually run. Yeah, exactly. It's all built off of it. But yeah, the S is the. <laughs> Gotta love it. Well, so, Chris, how much? Uh, insight do you get into the the parity the 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 um, I, I love all the, the changes that are coming in teams a time zone and I use the crud out of the the hover card info on users inside of teams to grab their email addresses to give people permissions to that and that little copy email address to clipboard is my best friend in teams <laughs> however I end up punching the screen when I try to do the hover card in outlook because that feature is not there and so I sit hover and wave and I'm okay did I move it do I have focus do I done focused and oh shoot I'm in outlook same hover card, same UI, same look and feel. Wrong application, different features. Um, are there? Do you do you get uh, do you get looped into the parity of the Outlook features whenever they're mimicking that functionality, or should I just stop using Outlook? You know, I've heard the story of same UI, same thing across the board, and it's it's. I don't think it's ever going to happen. They've been talking about the sharing card, you know, OneDrive and SharePoint and in-office. They they almost got that finally down, but for the longest time we heard, you know, wherever you share, it's going to be the same, and that's mm -hmm. the closest thing they've done to that, but as far as Outlook parity, I don't know. They're kind of their own. They're two separate teams, 100%, so, I mean... Well, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Great, great stuff. I'm looking forward to everything. And all that stuff you showed us was GA? Um, or public preview. But, okay. So they should be in one or the other. 
as of cool. now. But you know, with teams, it, it, they always say something's launched and it takes a month or two or six before it shows up. <laughs> Nothing new there, right? <laughs> but that stuff's supposed to be launched. Most of that stuff's live. I mean, the some of the meeting stuff, like the NDA or NDI stuff, may not be there quite yet, but most of that stuff is live. Awesome. Really good stuff. Chris, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate um, all that info. Once again, want to thank our sponsors, Aptogent, uh, the Bifocal uh, podcast. What's up on your next podcast, Jason? We actually have Kelly Kay coming on, uh, who's the uh, MVP lead for Power BI. She's going to be talking about some cool stuff that's happening in the Power BI community. And while we've been on here, Microsoft just dropped the, uh, the February Power BI feature summary to the blog. So definitely go check that out. Lots of cool stuff happening in that. Been waiting for that to happen. So uh, very excited to hang up on this call and go get to playing with the new version of uh, Power BI Desktop. Which, which we'll get an update on next month, I guess. Yes, sir. Looking forward to doing that. Very good. And Paul, uh, upcoming uh, Salesforce developer group, what you got on tap for that? So uh, I've got one on single sign-on coming up, but I just posted the link. Uh, one of the career growth uh, places or places to get into this kind of exploding uh, is healthcare. So healthcare and financial services, we're seeing a lot of jobs and there's a, uh, uh, Salesforce has a, a health services cloud uh, enabling tool that it's, you know, a Salesforce flavor uh, with a specific functionality to health cloud. And we've got a, a an intro one-on-one -on, -one on that for anybody. So we're seeing a lot of people coming from healthcare uh, going into tech and, and uh, healthcare tech is a great transition place for them. Um, and so we've got a, a feature on that coming up in March. So I put the uh, the uh, registration link for that. It's March 23rd uh, at 6.30 p.m. Central. Awesome. Same day as the Teams Nation. Oh, okay. Yeah, very good. They, they, they can do Salesforce first and then jump I'll over. I'll just into segue YouTube. right into it. Yeah, we, we finish about <laughs> eight or nine and two hour break and hop on the midnight train to teams nation <laughs> rock and roll well thank thank you everyone for joining us thanks again to my fellow co-hosts paul and jason to our guest chris webb for joining us and we will see you all next month on episode nine of the community cloudcast thanks a lot